No, it's it's good to be hanging out with you all this morning, and just uh, I've celebrated what God is doing here uh, through your pastor and just through the reputation that you have as a church. Uh, And definitely, uh, let me say this uh, as a word of encouragement, don't take your foot off the gas. Don't take your foot off the gas. It's never a a bad idea or even a sin to to pause and to thank God for what he's doing and what he's done. But I believe it's tantamount to sin when we sit back and we don't press pause, we hit stop, and we just quit moving forward. We would never accept that in any other facet of our culture. If Cal came out and he said, you know what, I think we've got enough championships at the University of Kentucky, we're just going to have fun. We're just going to get some kids to the NBA, and if we win a few games along the way, that'll be great. But I tell you what, gang, I've worked hard, and these kids have worked hard, and we're just going to kind of take it easy for a little while and not worry about moving forward. That would be the best way for him to be known as the former basketball coach at the University of Kentucky. We wouldn't accept it. Don't accept it in the church. Don't ever accept that you've got all the God you want. Don't ever accept that you've seen all the people saved you want and you're ready to stop. Don't take your foot off the gas. That wasn't even in the notes. That's free. (laughs) And so for the next two hours as we're here together, uh, this will be, well, I mean, it's not. It's like two hours and ten minutes. But uh, nonetheless, uh, I do appreciate the opportunity to be here with you. And like I said, I've considered it a privilege to to be friends with Pastor Tim and Pastor Mark. and, And I appreciate him and his vision for seeing the world transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I know that's the vision that, that you all have embraced as well. And vision is an important thing. I mean, I realize that it's a term that we can, we can come to and we have some presuppositions. We have some different ideas about what it means. I mean, if you're in the church planting world, I get to hang out with a lot of church planters, then the term vision, it's kind of something you expect to hear from guys and gals that go out and start churches. It's something that you would think would be natural. For an optometrist, <laughs> That's what you do, right? Vision. Uh, I mean, you know, if you look at it in, in leadership development, that's used a lot. For some of you, maybe under 30, vision is the name of your favorite Avenger. Hashtag Tony Stark. But the idea is that vision is important. It's something that is important not only to our lives as individuals, but to the life of the church. Uh, and for our conversation this morning, I want to kind of boil vision down just a little bit and want to define it like this. Vision It's about comparing your present reality to your preferred future. It's about comparing your present reality to your preferred future. Let me give you some examples. If your present reality is poor, then your preferred future may be to become rich, right? If your present reality is unpopular, then your preferred future may be to become popular, If your present reality is unmarried, then your preferred future may be to become married. If it's reversed, let's talk after service, okay, Uh, just for a couple of minutes. (laughs) If you're married, like, well, let me flip that. No, no, no. If your present reality is being short, welcome to my world. Uh, But the idea is that vision, comparing your present reality to your preferred future, is important for us to consider. In fact, it's so important that you have a vision here at Summit. I mean, it doesn't take long to to get on your website or to talk to your pastor or or I'm sure to talk to any of you. And the idea that the vision here is that transformed people are transforming the world. I love that. Transformed people transforming the world. 
And I think that that's important because you could argue that Jesus was guided by vision, a preferred future. I mean, according to what we find in Scripture, he came to seek and to save that which was lost, right? He came to preach the kingdom of God. He came uh, to, to live and to serve and to love. He came to set the captives free. In fact, you could argue from Scripture that the will of God or the vision of God is that none would perish, but that all would come to a saving knowledge of his son, Jesus Christ. And so vision is something that is very important. And for you and for me, it is closely related to purpose, and that directs our actions. That dictates who we are and how we live. And to some level, I think we could all as believers, not just as maybe members of this church, but uh, even all as individual believers say that it's an important thing for us to consider our vision and how transformed people are transforming the world. And I want to take just a couple of minutes this morning and kind of unpack that because I believe that we could, we could agree pretty easily that our world needs to be transformed. I mean, I don't know how you look at the world, but it doesn't take me long to turn on a television, to, to pop uh, open a device, to check out my laptop, and to think, man, this world needs to be transformed. It almost pains me physically at times to turn on the news, and I don't care what cable outlet you watch. There are times where it's just depressing, where you wake up, and I don't know where you were when you found out about the Nevada shooting, but it made me sick to my stomach. And you know, the thing that bothered me more, not just that it happened, but that it happened again. That was the first thought that came to mind, again? We're seeing this again? People are walking into churches, not just a church, but churches, and people's lives are being taken. We live in a culture in which drugs is running rampant, and it doesn't matter where you live, gang. There's no part of the state or country that has cornered the market on that. We've got it just as bad in Lexington as anywhere else I've ever lived. And I'm from Georgia. I grew up in New Orleans, lived in West Virginia. I've lived in some places, eat up with it. But we live in a world that I think we could agree needs to be transformed, that there is a difference that needs to be made. And for you and for me, if you come in this morning and you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that the beauty is that God can make a difference in and through you. And if you come in this morning and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, understand that God loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you through his son. He sent his only begotten son to die on your behalf to pay for all of the sin that you and I bring into this world. And he wants your world to be transformed so that you can transform the world at large. But that kind of begs the question, how do we define the world? Because the world to me is kind of a big thing if you look at it from a macro sense. If you look at it, you go, well, man, how do, how do I transform the world? I mean, if it's transformed people transforming the world, what's the world? Because if the world's just a global sense, then I don't know, maybe we could get some money together and write a check for missions. We could send our, our pastor out to Israel, and man, that's comforting to know that, that uh, you know, he's not here and it has nothing to do with witness protection. That's a good thing. That's a thumbs up as far as I'm concerned. But we'll send our pastor, we'll send some staff, we'll do some stuff like that, and we'll put the U.S. Postal Service to work, and, and that's how we'll change the world because this big thing is the world. It's what we've got to transform. Or maybe we narrow it down just a little bit more, and it's our country. Maybe we look at some things that we can do nationally as, as Americans to change our world in that capacity. Or maybe we kind of make it a little more personal. It's our neighborhood. 
It's where we live. It's the street that our geographical address is attached to. Or maybe this morning, you and I could agree that when we consider transformed people transforming the world, can we define the world today according to the people that you come in contact with on a daily basis? If you want to transform the world, let's start with that world. Let's start with the people that you and I come in contact with on a daily basis because it's my belief that that's where the world in a larger sense gets changed is when all these little individual worlds get transformed. And so maybe for you and for me this morning, there can be some application from the Word of God that will change our world so that the larger world gets transformed for God's glory and right now, regardless of the, the level of world that you're talking about, we're struggling with some, some interesting stuff, in particular racial division. I don't know if that's a news flash to you or not, but we're kind of rampant with it right now, aren't we? I mean, it's something that, that is on everybody's minds and in a lot of conversations, and it's on the news everywhere. And whether or not you look out at, at your day-to-day world and think that it's being torn apart by that, I think we can at least agree that in the United States of America, the greatest country on the face of the earth, in my opinion, I've only been out of the country a couple of times, but both times I enjoyed it, but believed even more strongly that I was coming home to the greatest nation on the face of the planet. But in the United States of America, at the very least, we can agree that we tend to have a problem with people who aren't just like us. Whether it's racially motivated or not, whether it's socioeconomically motivated or not, we can tend to have a problem with people who aren't just like us. You say, well, come on, man. I mean, this is, this is eastern Kentucky, salt of the earth. Man, we're, we're Bible-believing, God-fearing, Jesus-loving folks here. That doesn't happen with us. Well, if I might be able to give just a very simple example that could maybe argue a little to the contrary, because I ain't from around here. And, and, and I got to see kind of firsthand what it's like to try to come into a place where you're not from. And, and I love being a part of the family now. My wife and I have been married for 23 years. I've got uh, several of my in-laws here this morning, and I, I love not only having them here, but I, I love my extended family that I married into. And I like coming and, and hanging out and just kind of relaxing. It seems like when sometimes we hit the Fayette County line, we just kind of, oh, we just kind of breathe, and, and we can come and just, just relax and be with family, and it's a great thing. But I remember the first time when I was at Georgetown College, met my wife at Georgetown College, and, and it, was, it was an amazing, I mean, we were connected spiritually from the very beginning because I saw her and I was like, she's hot, you know. That's an amazing spiritual, deep theological uh, foundation on which to build a relationship. I was just like, I want to get to know her, you know. So, uh, so we met and we started kind of hanging out a little bit. And, and she's like, you know, at some point uh, as we started dating a little bit more, she said, you know, I want you to meet my family. I was like, great, I want to meet your family. Uh, and I said, you know, where are you from? And she was telling me, I said, sounds awesome, sounds great. And then some of my buddies, you know, buddies can tend to encourage you, you know. And they're like, dude, you ain't never going to make it out alive, boy. And it just ain't going to happen. I mean, you grew up in New Orleans, you know, you're a city boy going into, into eastern Kentucky. Oh, yeah, they probably better get some GPS tracking for your sorry self because you ain't going to make it out. And I'm just like, come on, guys. I mean, I'm from southwest Georgia. I, I lived for a few years in West Virginia. I mean, you know, country's not so far away from me. I realize I got some urban in my blood, but we're fine, man. We're fine. And by the way, did I tell you, this gal's hot. So I'm going to hide. 
And I remember pulled in, you know, get up by uh, past the Nixon Center there and head to the softball fields. And, you know, Gretchen wanted me to meet some of her friends, and I wanted to meet some of her friends, you know, and, and we're out there. And I, I'm, I'm a little nervous. I'll admit I was a little intimidated. You know, being 6'5 and all, you'd think that wouldn't happen, but I, I was intimidated. And, and so we get there, and, and I'm kind of bracing myself. I want to make a great first impression and all because, you know, I, I want to get in good with her and with her friends. And, and one of her friends pulls up after just a few minutes. We've been out there just a little bit. And here's where I started to realize that maybe we're not exactly the same. When she pulled up and said, hey, Gretchen, guess who got shot and killed up Bob Fort last night? And I went, oh, boy. And if that wasn't enough, she said, hey, you want to go see it? I'm not going to make it out of here alive ever because that guy didn't. And he might have been from Georgetown College. But the idea is that, you know, we tend to have a problem sometimes with folks that are not just like us. When we see that you're not from my neighborhood, we see that you're not from my holler, you're not from my county, you don't look like me, talk like me, act like me, smell like me, think like me, we tend, unfortunately, in a country that speaks of being united, we have a problem with division. Because we have issues with people that aren't exactly like us. You know, interestingly enough, we didn't invent that. That existed during biblical times as well, but because it existed during biblical times and God understood that there were uh, some of the same human principles that would transfer from one culture to another, from one generation to another, we have truth in Scripture that gives us the answer on how to deal with this type of issue and how to live according to vision of transformed people, transforming the world. If you have your Bibles with you and you want to turn with me to Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, the verses will pop up on the screen. And if you're, if you're new to this whole Bible thing and, and you've got a Bible or you're ever sharing a Bible and you don't know where Acts is, just look at the book of contents. That's a very helpful thing, and you'll just find out where it is. It's on page 1,627 in my Bible, if that helps anybody at all. But Acts chapter 2, verse 4. And with many other words, he, being Peter, testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now, the reason that we go to Acts chapter 2 in many ways is because this is where the early church begins. I mean, you've got folks from all over the known world that are gathered in Jerusalem celebrating the festival of Pentecost. And it's the first time where we see the Holy Spirit come and, and indwell a human being. It's an amazing experience, a very unique experience. But this is where the early church begins. 
Jesus has ascended. He's been, he's been crucified. He's been resurrected. He's ascended into heaven. And now the early church gets started. And in many ways, it's, it's amazing to go back to this situation and to this passage of Scripture because it's where the church existed without being tainted by years and generations of human tradition. Of all the weird, creepy, unwritten things that human beings tend to bring into the church experience. It seems kind of pure at this point. It seems untarnished in so many ways. And, and what we see here is that, that there is a diverse group of people that Peter has gotten the opportunity to preach to. And we know they're diverse for a lot of reasons. One, in Acts chapter 2, verse 5, it says that every nation under heaven was represented in the group that was there. If you go down a little bit further in Acts chapter 2, you find that the Holy Spirit comes and indwells Peter and the disciples. Peter begins to preach with boldness. They're speaking in the languages that all these people, all these different nationalities can understand. They say, well, dude, how can that guy speak and I understand him because he's not from where I'm from. They must have had just a little bit. They, they were breaking into the communion wine a little early this morning. Peter goes, no, we're not drunk. This is evidence that God has come down in a way that has never happened before. And he begins to preach a sermon. And then where we picked up in verse 40, people are responding. And it's an amazing situation where literally people from all over the known world are there. And according to what we find in this passage, over 3,000 come to faith in Christ. And nobody seems to be all that upset about it. That's an amazing thing to me is that you've got all these people that are not like each other, but they're all responding to this one gospel about this one man named Jesus who came and lived a perfect life, who came and lived a sinless life, who healed, who performed miracles, who preached, who taught, who loved, and according to Scripture, offered himself a willing sacrifice so that your sin and mine, all of their sin, could be accounted for. That the penalty of our sin, he could pay. All of these people are responding to that truth, and nobody seems to care. Nobody seems to be looking and saying, well, you're not from where I'm from, so you can't respond to this. They're saying, no, let's have some more people in the family. Let's have some more people on the team. Let's have some more people have their life transformed. And we're not just okay with it, we're going to celebrate it. That's not that they didn't have trouble. If you look over in Acts chapter 6, the first deacons, uh, that office was formed to be a servant because uh, there were some folks who were Hellenists. They were Jewish Christians who spoke Greek. They were saying, hey, look, we're being, we're being overlooked. We're not being attended to. Can somebody take care of us? And they were afraid that there was some, some racial tension going on there. And so deacons were formed to take care of these people, to love on them, to serve them. If you go down into Acts chapter 12 through 28, you've got Paul taking the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, if you don't know what a Gentile is, it's basically somebody who wasn't a Jew. And that was a big deal in this time period because the Jews understood themselves to be God's chosen people and certainly for so much of the Old Testament they were and even into the New, but Jesus came to fulfill the Old Testament so that everybody, could have an opportunity to have a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son. And so you got Paul taking the gospel to folks that generally the religious community didn't like. I mean, you know, that, that's almost like a, a UK fan cheering for Louisville. 
And we know that's not going to happen because it's in here somewhere. I don't know where, but it says you can't do that. It's probably a very rare Old Testament, probably in Habakkuk or someplace like that. But, but the idea is that Paul is taking the gospel to people that nobody necessarily wanted the gospel to go to. It stirred up a lot of emotion. In Romans chapter 14, you find that Paul is writing because of some of the emotion that gets stirred up. And they're, they're having conflict over what feast days to celebrate and what meats you can eat and the things you can't eat. It wasn't that they didn't have any problem, but they never stopped people coming to faith in Jesus because they weren't exactly like them. They didn't mind the diversity because they believed that anybody who called on the name of the Lord could find salvation. And interestingly enough, that's a word that you and I can embrace and apply today. You say, well, well, then how do they keep transforming the world? Well, they kind of just did what they were doing here. They shared the gospel, and people came to faith in Christ. Again, over 3,000 in this one instance. They began to grow in their faith. It says here that, that they were paying attention uh, to the apostles' doctrine. They, they were paying attention to the teachings, to the truth. They grew in their faith. They did life together. It says that they hung out together, they ate together, they shared according to who had need. And that because of that, I love the way this passage ends in verse 47. They were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added daily to the church those who were being saved. They even had a great reputation in the community. And that's awesome because as a church consultant, a lot of the churches that I go into don't have a great relationship with the community, nor do they have a great reputation with people in the community. But here, what's happening is they've got this amazing diversity. People are coming to Jesus. Nobody cares where they came from or who they are, what they've done. They were celebrating transformed lives so they, they could see continued transformation. You say, well, man, in, in all of that, that's great, but what are we supposed to do with this? I mean, we don't have a Pentecost that we celebrate. And, and you said that this was a unique event and how the Holy Spirit came. And, and, and there's not necessarily a tons of different languages represented in this room or even in our community. What are we supposed to do with this? How can we transform our world? I want to go to one other scripture uh, to use as a support for this this morning and make just a couple of points of application and we'll be done. Romans chapter 15, verse 7, picks up on the heartbeat of Acts chapter 2. And Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. Now, I love that word choice here. Most translations that you read will say, therefore, accept. Some will say receive, but most translations say accept. Accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. I love how the message translation reads. It reads like this. So reach out and welcome one another to God's glory. Listen to this. Jesus did it. Now you do it. I mean, it seems simple enough, right? Jesus did it. Now you do it. For you and for me to be willing to accept people the way God accepts us. And that's important that the, the word says it like that. It's not by accident that Paul is telling us accept the way God accepts you, the way God accepts me. Because there are times, if we're not careful, we'll want to give ourselves more grace than we'll extend to other people who aren't just like us. 
Now, I grew up, and, and man, I was Southern Baptist nine months before I was born. I mean, my dad was my pastor growing up, and I was in church in the womb. I mean, I'm sure I was, well, I wasn't clapping because I was Baptist, but the idea is, you know, I'm sure I was there and getting into it and all that kind of fun stuff, but you know, nonetheless, I've been in church all of my life. I got wet when I was six. I got saved about 19 years later. And, and I've learned in the church experience that I've had, even since being called to, to be a pastor and be in the ministry in that capacity, that if we're not careful, a lot of our church experience, we can preach grace and show little. We can preach love, and, and yet we will manifest an unloving spirit if we're not willing to accept others the way God has accepted us. Because there was a time, I'll be quite honest, and I'm just like, well, dude, I'm, I'm a preacher's kid, and God ought to accept me, right? I mean, yeah, I don't do anything all that bad. At least I've not gotten caught for it yet. And, and I don't do anything that's that terrible compared to that dude over there. And, and certainly God would want to be impressed with me just enough to think that I'm all right, just enough to call me one of his own. And I would want to give myself loopholes and expand grace beyond what was biblical. But then if somebody else wanted to come into my little world, I could tend to be a little less gracious. Oh, man, I don't know why they're walking down the aisle, man. I mean, I was partying with them last night. I don't know what this is all about, but that's not going to last. Yeah. Uh, and, and you can come and try and join the church if you want, but we're probably going to vote you down because we know a little bit too much about your past. We know just a little bit too much about what you said, what you did, who you are. I'm sure none of that has ever happened in your church experience, ever. But I run into it on a fairly regular basis, and I cut my teeth on it. But we don't have to just do it in church, right? You ever been in that friend group where you were talking until so-and-so walked up, and all of a sudden, it got real quiet? Probably never happened to any of you all. You've probably never been involved in anything like that. I have. Because I'm a stinking human being. And there are times where I, I like to preach a word of grace and acceptance, and yet I wrestle with my own humanity about accepting the very people that God accepts, and I'll overlook the sin in my life when God has to remind me, hey, listen, man, your sin condemned you just as bad as theirs, and I accepted you. And, and God talks to me kind of personally like that. I don't know how he talks to you. I don't know how it sounds. For me, it's like a combination of Elvis, James Earl Jones, throwing a little Morgan Freeman. You know, he just kind of, it, it's, it's this neat kind of, hey, boy. You know, and I'm like, yeah, what's up? Almost a Johnny Bravo. But anyway, it's kind of this idea that he talks very personally to me. He says, Alex, son, how dare you not accept someone else? Dude, when I accepted you and all of your junk. In fact, Alex, let me remind you. Let me remind you of the beautiful truth that I wrote to you and that he wrote to you. In Romans 5, 8. For God shows his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, if you're here this morning and you couldn't spell church if we spotted you four letters and you're not sure what all this is about, maybe this is your first time. Maybe you got dragged by a parent or a girlfriend or boyfriend or, or you're just here and you don't even know why. And you may not get all of this church talk and all of this salvation stuff. Let me explain it to you that if nothing else, understand before you leave this place today that you matter in the eyes of heaven. You matter in the eyes of an almighty God. 
and that he knew you before he formed you in the womb. He has a plan for your life, and he loves you in spite of all of the junk that you're sitting in right now. He accepts you regardless of all of the sin that you bring to this party. He will redeem you and change you and even transform you by his power because of how amazing he is regardless of how nasty you feel. And for you and for me in Romans 15, 7, I think it's important that we understand how to embrace and embody. Therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given the glory. I want to challenge you this morning in the next couple of minutes. In fact, I want to challenge us. This is for all of us. This isn't just for me or for you, excuse me. It's just it's, it's for all of us. To do a couple of simple things, a couple of simple possibilities to take this truth and make an application to your world to see it transformed. First of all, honestly evaluate your world. What does your world look like? The people that you come in contact with on a daily basis. Is it only people who are just like you? Only the people who voted the way you did? Only the people who think exactly the thoughts that you think? Only the folks that go to the exact places that you like to go? Is it a very limited world? Or is it one that reveals the kind of diversity that God wants in the church? Maybe people that don't look just like you, talk just like you, act just like you, think just like you. Honestly evaluate your world. And if you need help, get somebody who loves you but isn't too impressed with you to tell you the truth to help you evaluate your world. Find somebody who who loves you enough that they'll tell you the truth to help you evaluate your world. What does it look like? For some of you, that, that'll be an encouragement. For others of you, it'll be a challenge. For me, it depends on the day, you know. There are times where it just depends on the day, but I've still got to honestly evaluate my world if I want to see it transformed. And secondly, realize that being the church is not defined only by churchy activities. Now, don't get me wrong. I like churchy stuff. This is churchy, you know. I mean, we're doing churchy things right now. We've sung and worshiped, and that was awesome, by the way. We're diving into the truth of the Bible. You know, we've got kids' ministry going on. We've got all kinds of stuff happening in the house. This is kind of a churchy thing. I like churchy stuff. I'm a churchy kind of guy. But being the church is not only defined by churchy activities. What did the church, the early church in Acts chapter 2 do? They were doing life together. They were doing life together. It would have been tantamount to go into the grocery store together on occasion They'd have definitely gone to ball games and movies. They'd have just hung out, right? I mean, we do it just regularly because God created us to be social. But we can do it with regard to being the church and seeing lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. When was the last time that you sought to transform somebody's world by doing something that wasn't churchy? And like it was on your mind the spiritual health of the individual that you're doing life with. Now, like, you're not condemning them, you're not judging them, you're not bringing anything to the table, but you want God's grace to be just blown up all over their lives. Had some, some guys grab me in the hallway. We were at church a, a couple of weeks ago, and we were taking uh, Jackson into the, the kids' ministry, and I turned around and almost get tackled by these two dudes. 
And, you know, it, it doesn't take a big dude to knock this dude down. And so I'm like, oh, what is going on here? And I'm seeing tattoos all over the place. And I'm, I'm like, ball caps are everywhere. And I'm like, what is up? And when I finally was able to kind of see what was happening, it, it was two guys that had become really good friends in my life. And we, we celebrated there for a minute. Oh, man, it's awesome seeing you guys. We hadn't seen each other in a couple of weeks. And it was great. And we got to talking. And we went in and we worshiped together. And God brought it to my attention. He said, man, you remember you remember where all this started? Long before you got a chance to lead either one of them to faith in Christ, long before you got a chance to pastor both of them, long before you got a chance to baptize both of them, you remember how all this started? I was like, yeah, got to do. With one, it started at a Starbucks. Because, man, I like living in Lexington for a lot of reasons, but like between Frankfurt and uh, Richmond and that Lexington area, we have got like more Starbucks than anybody on the planet. I mean, Hong Kong's got nothing on us. We, we got more Starbucks. And so a lot of my life winds up revolving around Starbucks. That's why Hebrews is in the Bible. Coffee is biblical. But the idea is that, you know, me and one of the guys, we just met over coffee one morning. In fact, it was me and another dude, and one of the dudes brought this dude. And we got to meet, and you know what we started doing? We started hanging out over coffee about once a week. And it wound up, long story short, this guy giving his life to Christ. Got to baptize he and his wife together. And I've had an opportunity just to watch God move in their experience. The other dude wound up having a group of guys. God said, you know what? Hey, man, you know, you're not just a pastor doing this small group stuff so you can check off your, your churchy to-do list. But I want you to invest in the lives of some of the men uh, in your area, in your neighborhood. And so we started meeting at like the greasiest diner in Lexington. I'm serious. If you just Google greasy diners, I trust me, this one would come up. And we just roll in on Thursday morning. And we get there about 7.30. We just hang out for an hour. We'd eat some stuff that just clogged veins and arteries everywhere. I mean, it was an amazingly unhealthy experience. But it was amazingly spiritually awesome. Because there was a couple of dudes that started coming that didn't know Jesus. And just because we were eating at old greasy diner and just talking about life, by the time it was over, this one, one of the two guys came to faith in Christ and got a chance to baptize he and his wife. Counseled them from their marriage falling apart to see it come back together. Now we get to celebrate as friends watching what God does in their lives. It had nothing to do with me being a pastor. I wasn't doing anything special. I was going to Starbucks to get a cup of coffee. I was going to hang out at a, at a local diner to get something to eat and just spend some time with some other people. You do that kind of stuff all the time. Just put Jesus in the middle of it and see what kind of life transformation takes place. Just do what you do on a regular basis but let Jesus be the center of it. And I guarantee if he's transformed your life, he will transform others through your life. And then the last thing, and we'll wrap up my time this morning. Intentionally reach out to at least one person who either isn't just like you or doesn't know Jesus to expand your world in order to transform it intentionally reach out to at least one person. At least one. You could do 10, you could do 50, but start with at least one. Intentionally. Now, that's an important word because we're not going to accidentally transform anything. Right? We're not going to accidentally transform anybody's world. But intentionally to at least one person who's not just like you and see what God does with it. 
in Lexington, we had a, uh, a prayer event with our network that, that I consult with. And because of all of the racial divisions, we had uh, a prayer time for our pastors at a traditionally African-American church in downtown Lexington. Been, been a predominantly African-American church for 155 years. And we had a prayer event there, and we had white pastors, black pastors, uh, international pastors. We had all kind of pastors there praying just that God would do something amazing in our community because our community needs to be transformed. After it was over, I remember going up to the pastor and saying, hey, look, I've got your contact information. I'm gonna contact you because if this event is the end of what we do, we've done nothing. If this is the end of what we do, we've done nothing. He said, I got you, get a hold of me. I got a hold of him, and a couple of weeks ago, we went out to lunch. And the cool thing about going out to lunch, well, one, I, I got to have a, a, a nice lunch with a guy that I didn't know, and I got a chance to get to know him. But you know what that's leading to? It's leading to another lunch. And I'm sure it's going to lead to coffee because we want God to be in the middle of it. And it's going to lead to all kinds of other times hanging out. And we're like, you know what? It's important. While I hope there comes a time where I can invite him into our home and maybe even have an opportunity to be in his, we thought it was important that we're not just alike. And we want to be in public showing folks that people who aren't just alike can still get along. We thought it was important that maybe there would be some transformation take place because two guys that are nothing like each other would get together for God's glory. What's your story going to be? What transformation are you going to see God make because you'll intentionally reach out to at least that one person? I want to say this and then we'll be done. If you're here this morning and you hear all about this transformation and, and there seems to be a disconnect, maybe this morning for you, in order to see a life transformed, yours has to be transformed first. Maybe you're here today and all of this stuff, it sounds great and you believe it and in an intellectual sense you're tracking, but there's just a disconnect when it comes to who you are in here. Maybe today is the day that your life gets transformed by Jesus Christ. Maybe today is the day that you realize for the very first time that Scripture is right when it says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Nobody's exempt. Uh, maybe you, you look to the Bible or you've heard it said that the wages of sin is death. That because we sin, what we deserve is complete and eternal separation from God. But the beauty of even the verse that I just quoted is the second half of it is what? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. That even though you and I deserve death, hell, and separation from God, he offers salvation. He offers to transform your life if we'll just do a couple of simple things to just agree with him that our lives are jacked up, that we're not perfect, that we don't have it all together. To repent, not just to say I'm sorry, but to say, you know what, I don't want to live the way I've been living anymore. I don't want to keep going the direction that I've been going anymore. I want my life to turn around and to believe that Jesus is who the Bible says that he is. If we're willing to do, to do those things and commit our lives to him, that will reflect a life that's been transformed. And trust me, when you embrace that transformation, he will lead transformation through you. Other people's lives will be changed as a result of the transformation that he has made in yours. So today I invite you, whether it's to fill out a connect card, whether it's to talk to somebody before the service is over, if nothing else, be willing to at least step into the conversation 
so that God can transform your life in order to transform your world for his glory. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time, for this day, for this church. God, I thank you for the opportunity of just coming and hanging out for a little bit. God, uh, of being together around the truth that you do transform lives. That you still offer grace and hope and strength and peace and love. And God, maybe there's somebody within the sound of my voice this morning that needs to hear that at a substantial level. That it's not just the superficial, it's not just the surface, but they came in today and they had a need and you were speaking to that need, but right now you've spoken to it directly. Maybe there's somebody here today that needs to know you for the very first time. Maybe there are countless people here that already know you, but want to see their world transformed. And maybe, God, you've used this time to to light a fire and to unleash them when they walk out of this place. God, we just pray that as we look back in weeks, months, and years to come, that we don't see this date and remember a sermon, but we see this date and we remember a watershed moment where you changed this community because you transformed us. God, we love you, and we are in all that you love us. And we pray all this in the blessed name of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's really dark in here. (laughs) I just want to thank Alex for being here with us today and for bringing such a wonderful message for him and his family that joined us today. So now it is time for us to fill out our connection cards and it is time for our offering. So all of our ushers will get into place. So while they are getting in place and you guys are taking out your connection card and you are filling that out, um, I wanted to talk just about a couple of things. Next Sunday is our fall festival here. So we will be doing uh, fall family pictures The kids will be doing trunk or treat in the back. So all the kids can bring their costumes or come dressed up. It's however you prefer. Um, I usually bring Peyton's because I want our picture for him to not be in his costume. Um, But if you guys can bring a bag of candy for that too next week, that would be great because we'll just do trunk or treat right back here in the back. And we are having a waffle bar with all kinds of special fall kind of toppings and things for that. So it looks like everybody is in place. So will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for bringing us all here together today for a time of worship. And Lord, we, um, we continue to pray for Mark and Elena as they, are, um, as they are in Israel right now. And Lord, we just pray that you will keep them safe. And I know, Lord, that this has been an amazing trip for them. It has been an amazing trip for those of us who have got to look at his pictures and um, look at their posts and see how you are working in their life right now and how you are using this to um, to not only change their lives, but in turn to change ours as well. Lord, we thank you for that blessing that, that you gave to them. Lord, I thank you for everyone here that is giving today, whether it be um, here in the service, whether it be online. Lord, I thank you for them. I thank you for the offering. I pray that you will bless it and that... Um, that there will be things that comes from this and lives changed that, um, that we could not even imagine. Lord, walk with us this week. Show us that you are with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
So today is Mr. Ricky Steele's birthday. So uh, we are so very thankful for Ricky um, and all that he does, and he puts a lot of time and things in. Uh, <laughs> I know that's exactly what he means. Uh, but we are very appreciative of him and everything that he does, and he's been here with us for a long time. I am happy to call him my friend, and uh, I hope that you guys know how blessed you are that uh, that he is here with us. And so they asked me to sing. I do not sing. I do most things they ask me to do. This is not one of them. But these people behind me, they can sing. So here we go. All right, everybody sing with us. Happy birthday to Thank you. 32 feels real good. Thunder high. Can I run this hard? 